Welcome to The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. On The Purposeful Project podcast, we share real-life stories from some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. We like to think our podcast will provide mentorship to those that need it and give you access to the knowledge you need to start and scale a business. To hear these incredible stories, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can simply visit purposefulproject.com. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me today. I'm just so excited to get out of my work from home lockdown situation and speak to you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for giving the time. And I've, I've been reading all about you. It's just amazing what you've achieved. But would you mind telling the audience a little bit about who you are and your journey? So I was always passionate about fashion and beauty. Um, I um, got a part-time job in um Seventeen magazine uh, back in Greece, where I'm from, while I was at uni. Uh, I did that for a little bit. I I got my teeth stuck into beauty and fashion, uh, but then I was really curious about business. So um, I continued my my studies. I studied business, moved to New York, uh, and then of all places, I ended up getting a job in the finance world, uh, first in New York and then moved to London. So here I am a girl passionate about style and beauty and fashion, uh, being thrown into the corporate world of finance. Um, And at the beginning, it was super exciting. I was getting involved in in deals and learning a lot and living the jet set lifestyle. But then very quickly, the excitement wore off. And a couple of years into um, being in banking, I got called into the boardroom and I got fired. And you know what, that was devastating for me because that was my first big job. But at the same time, this is the shock that I needed to sit down and think, what is it that I want to do with my life? And and finance was definitely not my calling. Um, So I went back to what I was really passionate about and beauty is one of my passions. So that was the point that I decided to launch my brand Rodial. So I started um, back back in the day that was over 18 years ago uh, from a back room at home. And uh, I've been slowly growing the business. And 18 years later, uh, Rodial is available in 35 countries and more than 22,000 stores uh, worldwide uh, with some of our best-selling products used by celebrities. um, And um, names of our products are Snake Serum, Dragon's Blood that have been revolutionizing the beauty industry. So it's been a journey to say the least. It's a fascinating story and I'm, I'm really interested in those early days because a lot of our listeners that they're, they're looking to start businesses, maybe they can't find a job right now, or they've been fired as well. You know, how did you come about with this brilliant idea? What, what was the process? Did you just come to you or was it uh, over time? How, how did it happen? Um, so back in the day when I was looking into the beauty industry, everything was very basic. Um, the only products that you could get and 
remember this is over 18 years ago, uh, a basic cleansing soap, a toner, and a basic moisturizer for all skin types. And my idea was there must be something a little bit more targeted that we can do and um, take every single skincare need uh, or issue that we may have from fine lines to pigmentation to um, to sunspots to anything that you can even think about stretch marks and then come up with a specific product to address the need uh, and back in the day that was revolutionary we were one of the first brands to be um, offering targeted treatments to specific skin concerns so I researched the industry and I was <clears throat> I was very passionate to come up with a solution to a problem and, a, and fill a gap in the market. I think anyone listening, you know, they think about products and how expensive it is to make them, and then of course building a brand and selling it. What what did what was the first few steps? Did you have to raise money? Did you did you just start selling products online and see how it went? How did you get it up and out? Because that's the struggle for a lot of people. Uh, well, before you even start to raise money, you need to have everything in place. So the first thing I did was I got on a flight to Italy. And I went to this trade show in Bologna that's called Cosmoprof. Uh, this is the biggest beauty show in the world. Um, and you've, there you find all the suppliers that you may ever want for a beauty brand, from packaging to uh, manufacturers, to designers, to anything, registration companies, everything. So um, here I am in Bologna with a, a carry-on trolley. So I was going up and down that show for 48 hours. Uh, I sat down, I had hundreds of meetings. I took lots of leaflets with me and um, that's that's how it all started then I came back to London I screened through and settled on who I was interested in and follow up, followed up with calls with meetings until I was at a place that I figured it all out that this is my this is going to be my packaging supplier this is my contract manufacturer my lab so um, it took me a bit of research um, to put all my resources together but that was the first point were you were you never tempted to you know go back and get a job as you're building? Was there were there moments of doubt? I was very young at the time. Uh, I was in my early twenties, so. I didn't really have a lot of responsibilities in my life. So um, for me, it was part uh, taking risks and part being naive and thinking, you know what, I have nothing to lose. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a family to support. It's just me. And yes, I may be able to go and get a salary, but it's more interesting and more exciting to try to start a business. If things fall apart and I'll give myself a couple of years, I can always go back and find a job. No big deal. So um, it, it was at that time that I felt comfortable in not having the security of a full-time job. It's, uh, it's fascinating to understand the psyche because for a lot of people, they are, again, um, they, they, they think they've got a lot to lose, right? And it's interesting to have the mindset that you've got, which is, you know, I think I want my audience to pick up on that, you know, when, especially when you're young, realise that you actually don't have responsibilities as much as you think you might, but you actually, you know, can go out there and take some risk. I think it's really important, that point. Do your family entrepreneurial? Did you, where did you get this entrepreneurial gene from? Was it were your mother and father quite entrepreneurial? 
Not at all. My, my parents are both uh, teachers back in Greece, and they've always been through the uh, public system. So uh, when they graduated from school, they got a job as a teacher, and then you are guaranteed a job for life. So not only did I not come from a family of entrepreneurs, but I also was coming from a family of people working as civil servants back in Greece. So um, I definitely didn't have the gene um and it's kind of interesting i talk about it in in both of my books that uh i don't think that you need to be born an entrepreneur i mean equally there is there's families of entrepreneurs that their kids become entrepreneurs and the grandchildren everyone gets that gene but in my case it was something that i discovered i figured out and even you know if you were to ask me when you ask a, a 13 year old what do you want to be i had no idea what an entrepreneur does and i had no idea this would be in the cards for me it, i just fell into it i guess very interesting and i think um it, it, i i sometimes describe the entrepreneurial piece as a muscle in your brain and that you wake up and then you have to exercise right but when you when you go through this process did you think at the beginning about getting a co-founder for example was 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 it lonely at the beginning or did you have a lot of support um i didn't think about getting a co-founder um just because I, I was taking a lot of points back at the day. So whether I liked it or not, I did have a couple of years of finance and, and strategy and, and building financial models. I did have that experience. I also had the... Um, the 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 sensibility of the beauty industry and style so throughout you know the four or five years going back before i started the business i had collected a lot of skills uh that i needed to start a business but what i did and and i did that very early on i realized that the part that i didn't have was the sales part how do you sell your product how do you go to the buyers and present that how do you organize a sales team if that's what you need um so very early on i brought on um a, a senior sales um manager in my team that would bring a skill that i wasn't familiar with um so for me for and this is an advice for our entrepreneurs out there yes you may have a co-founder that you have complementary skills with but equally um those skills that you're missing could be um a, a consultant that you get or you could be someone that you hire you don't necessarily need to be looking for a co-founder uh, and i did it by getting consultants and hiring people I think that's a really good point because a lot of people do feel like they need a co-founder they can't start and I think the way you're describing the process is 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 completely correct I want you know you can hire the talent that you need but it must also have not been easy hiring a, a very good person in the early days of the business I mean it's it sounds like you probably a bit of convincing a bit of salesmanship you probably had to apply to get them on board it's hard because when you have uh, great people in the market and you are a small brand, first of all, you can't offer them the packages that the big companies are offering, whether that's a pension plan or private health insurance or lots of perks that they get, or even the structure of working in a big corporation with 
a lot more security. But then you find those people that may not be the perfect candidate on paper, but you hire because the energy is there, the passion is there. And in a way, uh, coming to work for you at such an early stage gives them that flavor of being an entrepreneur themselves without having to take the risk personally. So it's, it is a certain type of um, candidate that would um, flourish with this opportunity, but it's not for everyone. And you know, over the years, I've tried to recruit people who looked amazing on paper and coming from big organizations, and they just didn't want to take the risk. But um, I feel that sometimes, especially beginning, the energy and the passion and sharing the vision is more important than the skills on paper. Again, great insight that I think only experienced entrepreneurs can share this concept of energy and passion as being as important as the CV experience. Because again, a lot of people out there think they don't have the experience. We speak to a lot of university students, for example, don't have any experience. So I think your message of energy and passion uh, can trump experience. And so um, visionaries like yourself will then hire those people. So I think that's really, really important. People pick up on that. Was there a lucky break in your business? Um, you know what? I, I don't think that there was a single point in my business that luck had anything to do with it. Um, and, you know, if you, if you look at my journey, uh, I moved to the UK. I'm an immigrant. Uh, and everything that I've done, I've had to prove myself time after time. Uh, because not only you're um, new in in being an entrepreneur, but also, you know, I haven't gone to school in this country and I don't have uh, contacts or I, I don't have people to support me in any way that I knew from you know, from school. So everything that I've done, I've I've had to work harder than anyone else to convince. So I I don't see luck as being um, having anything to do with with what I achieved. Um, I guess you know what the only lucky thing is that um, I have a very supportive family. Uh, I have a very supportive husband. Um, because that's the most important thing that when you are on a journey that you take a lot of risks, uh, you need to make sure that the people around you are supportive and they let you do what you want to do. And from that point of view, uh, I've always had support. So that's probably the only lucky area in my life. Yeah, it's in the game. Such a important point there. And um, and uh, we're getting a little bit of feedback at your end. I don't know if that's us um but um, but the um the, the partner piece you're mentioning there is another crucial thing i like people that are setting out on a journey of entrepreneurship or struggling right now i think your partner can make it all much easier for an entrepreneur i i'm only successful because my partner supported me i'm, I'm convinced of it if, if if she hadn't given me the time <laughs> to work as hard as i'd worked and, and understood who i was then that that's a big struggle for people i mean this t- takes us to this cliche work-life balance question really i mean what what do you think about work-life balance as a concept so work-life balance is is a tough one because um, my husband is um, the cfo uh, in our business and um, it's very hard because the working day ends and then would sit down to have dinner or watch something on TV. And then he would say, oh, this and that and the other. What do you think about this or this happened at work today? And, 
you know, at the beginning I was engaging, but now what I do, it's, I have to say, listen, the, let's just talk about this tomorrow. This is our private time and we need to have a little bit of time of work. So I find it's, while it's great to have a family member or your partner, work in the same business equally it it can take over and uh, i feel especially during lockdown when you work together you live together i had to set boundaries so this is the working day and past a certain point yes we can talk about business but then you also need to separate those two so you know it's it's not ideal but you know figuring it out i love your honesty around this subject I think for a lot of people uh, that that struggle with it, you know, you're you're super successful, super positive, and and you know everything you put out there, I think, is really really kind of bright and 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 happy. But it's nice to hear that you struggle with this stuff too. You know, I think for a lot of people listening, that will that will really appeal because I, I I have the same problem. I actually worked with my wife for ten years, day in day out, seven days a week, uh, eighteen hours a day, and it was awesome. But there was a stage where it became like let's just separate this now. You know that that's you know we we work and we live together. Let's keep it separate. But I think it, it's hard for people who don't have their partners in their businesses. For example, they have the opposite problem. I think there's a disconnect, right? They can't share their problems with someone, for example. But yeah, it's really interesting, and I really appreciate you being so honest about it because it's. I think for a lot of people, it will be a relief that they have a similar problem managing work life balance. And one of my favorite um, quotes ever from one of my guests on the podcast was, "Life's like living on a wobbly stool." I guess it's a permanent balance, right? Um, of getting mm. it right but lockdown doesn't help totally true i was looking back and um, you did a mba at columbia business school um what, how did was that was your education a big part of of how you think today or, or would you recommend people do things like that if they can what what's your view on on things like that um I mean, the, my my degree, my MBA, it, it really opened my eyes into the business world, into the finance world. And this is the reason that I got my first job in finance with with a bank called Salomon Brothers. Um, but to to be um, super transparent, I don't think that this the what I learned uh, during this degree has helped me in any way to being an entrepreneur. I didn't take any entrepreneurial classes at the time just because this wasn't something that I was even considering. So I feel that I learned more along the way and by trialing new things, by experimenting, by taking risks, some of them paid off, some of them I learned from and moved on. Um, so, yeah, it, it was great that I was able to um, do that business degree. But equally, uh, work, having your own business, it's a very different ballgame. You have to be a lot more street smart than what you're actually taught at um, university. Mm. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because they, they pitch themselves as business schools. So it is definitely an interesting topic a lot of people ask us here um, whether or not they should go and take uh, a, a, an MBA of sorts so it's interesting to hear your view I think also um, just looking at your history I mean you you've got two children um, and I know 15 and 17 years old and it's interesting to kind of look back at the history so your business is five or six years old when you have your first son right uh, yeah so first I've had the business and then I had um, my uh yeah my son 
And, and so what, a year or two after, two was, years, I think, yeah. What, what was that like? I mean, I, I know myself, I, I really struggle. Even today, doing this podcast, I said, I'm, I'm interviewing Maria. She's going to share her knowledge with the world and help people. And my son is literally like, come to the park, daddy, it's snowing today. And so I, I, I really find it hard. You know, I want to go to the park and play in the snow with him, but I also feel, I guess, an obligation to give back and help and, and, and do this interview today, of course, because it's lined up with you. How did you manage that? How, 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 do, you, how do you balance that? A lot of our listeners have, have kids. You know, is, there, is there any thoughts on this you have? Uh, yeah, well, um, I have a whole chapter about uh, combining work and family on my second book, Make It Happen. Uh, and the chapter, interestingly, is called uh, Pay the Cost of Being the Boss. Um, so when, uh, when I um, had my first son um, and the business was going for about a couple of years, um, the, the the good thing was that the business was still small. So I did have responsibilities, but not a lot, nowhere near the responsibilities that I have now, 18 plus years later. Um, I did, I was very strict with uh, this, uh, this is my time that I have to focus on work and this is my time that I can focus on my son. So obviously during those times you have to depend on other people, whether that's a partner, whether that's a relative, whether that's um, an au pair. Um, so I, I was quite structured with my day. Um, and also, I, I like to be 100% focused on what I do. So I, I can't really go through eight hours of kind of being at work while kind of being with my son. It would have to be four hours at work and four hours with my son or, or whatever combination works for me. Um, but from the very beginning, I was very clear about separating those two. Uh, and any time I could give to my business, I would give to my business and be there 100%. And I, I feel it's um it's really important um if you try to do both equally at the same time all day long i think there's always the guilt that you're not putting enough of the focus on your work and equally not putting your focus on your family so i i have a system that works for me it's all in my book um how to make it happen and um yeah it, it's all about prioritizing and um just just being focused on what you do being in the moment i guess well um your your the links to maria's books uh is is in in the broadcast below guys so um feel free to go and grab those because they are incredible books uh, with incredible insights i think this whole concept of of um of i guess balancing it out it does sound like segmentation is the answer i think um that that's definitely a theme i i hear from a lot of successful people um that you've got to actually allocate time to be with your family and allocate time for your business and if you try to do both sometimes it can go crazy um you can go crazy but i, I do i do appreciate again the honesty and the insight on it do you think um it, considering you're in such a competitive business today how do you stay innovative clearly when you started the business 18 years ago you were very ahead of your time and pioneering but a lot of people have copied you since so how do you keep it fresh how do you stay innovative um you know what it's uh this is um 
it's a, it's a very um, it's a current question actually because we've totally changed the way that we look at innovation since the lockdown compared to how we used to innovate before. Um, and and back in the day, it would be myself and my team we would look at the trends and we would identify a need and come up with products. Um, also, all the time researching for ingredients. I would travel the world. I'm I'm in Korea, let's say, and looking at new ingredients and bringing them back to the UK. Uh, but the, the thing that um, we've seen with um, lockdown, and I, I'm, as you know, I'm very active on social media, especially on Instagram through my um, at Mrs. Rodiel account. And since the lockdown, I've started going on daily and doing daily chats and daily tutorials, uh, which is something I've never done in my life because I always saw myself as a business person rather than a beauty um, expert. Uh, but I had to do it because that's the only way I could communicate with our audience. And um, since I started doing that, I've been getting so much feedback and I've been getting so many ideas on what people actually want. So it's not just about, oh, let's just come up with another moisturizer because it's trendy. It's this is what our customers are asking right now. This is a need that's obviously not covered by us or another brand. Let's just, um, this is the problem. How do we solve it? Let's just bring the ingredients and make it happen. So uh, since the lockdown, we are listening a lot more. And I feel that the products that we will develop going forward are going to be more successful because they're coming from a need as we're listening to our customers. Um, so yeah, things things have changed a lot. And um, at, at the end of the day, it's always putting the customer first and what is it that she wants or he wants and making that happen. It's a very good tip, actually, in this day and age. Um, I was like the Henry Ford quote. He used to, you know, if I asked my customers what they want, they would have said a faster horse. But he didn't have social media. And I think now the world is moving so fast and there's so much uh, out there listening to your customers and, and the way that you are doing. Your social media is awesome. I, really, I just followed you on TikTok, actually. Um, and, and I know you're, you're always building out new platforms, but your Instagram is, is informative and personal. And, and I, I really like this point you're making. And I hope people who are building businesses are picking up on it. You know, don't just necessarily sit in a vacuum creating things. Do ask customers. It's so, so key, I think, in today's world. So great, great insight. Do you think uh, your your business going forward, um, um, clearly you've diversified, you've got your own books, of course, um, you're, you've done a podcast in the past, you know, do, do you see yourself, um, I mean, you've, you, you, on, on LinkedIn it says um, overnight success media, so is moving to a media business model or is that a completely new venture that you're, you're pushing? Um. So, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I've, uh, I've published two books, How to Be an Overnight Success, How to Make It Happen. I have a podcast called Overnight Success. There was a time that I was focusing a lot on all that and, and doing book tours, internationally promoting my book. Um, so that is that is still going on. And it's it's sort of my personal passion because, you know, as you know, books and, and podcasts, um, I mean, you wouldn't know because you're a lot more professional than I am on the podcast side of things, but they're not necessarily big uh, revenue generators, uh, but they're just they're my personal passion. I want to share what I know with everyone else, even if that means that we just break even. Um, but, um, you know, I just uh, I'm always into challenging myself and finding new ways of um 
entertaining and educating and connecting with my audience. And it's funny that you mentioned TikTok. I've only been on TikTok for about six months. Uh, I was very reluctant to join. I joined and now I'm figuring it out. And someone was asking me the other day, what's your aim on TikTok? And uh, I know a lot of people go very niche and it's sort of every TikTok, it's all about education or every TikTok, um, it's it's about, uh, I don't know, makeup. And, and my vision with all my Instagram platforms, I guess, but especially with TikTok is to make it like a magazine. So you go one day, you watch a beauty tutorial, you go next day, you watch how to put together a fashion outfit. That's another passion of mine. The next day you go, you find motivation or the next time you find like a silly TikTok because it's trending on, on the platform. And for me, it's all about moving where the popular culture moves uh, and being part of that and, and being part of of that narrative rather than sort of isolate myself and say, I'm only going to be doing books or podcasts. It's where are things are moving. And, and for me, especially being in this business for so many years is going to where the audience goes and, and, and being part of any revolution that's happening. So that's important for me. It's really interesting. Well, you've got 74,000 followers on TikTok, but for, for, seeing as it seems like it's a side hobby for you, um, it's doing quite well. I enjoy your TikToks. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting point. I, I, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, for, for my listeners that don't know it, you know, one of the most successful investment companies in the world, they described themselves recently as a media company that monetizes itself through VC investing which I thought was really interesting you know the kind of it's, it's a personal brand I guess is the hot subject right now but you know you, you've got a personal brand as the founder of the businesses and, and because of your books but in a way the media side is also I guess stretching out and pushing further your personal brand story right Absolutely. And also, um, you know, when you you've been doing the same job for, you know, 18 plus years now, which I have have been running the same business, obviously, you know, every year it's different and every year has new challenges and growth and all that. But you need to have something else that's going on where I keep being creative and I get out of my comfort zone and I do things that still challenge me. Um, and I think it's very important for anyone who's been doing the same thing for a long time to find areas that they can self-develop. And for me, it's all about, and I know, you know, you were going to ask me what do you think success feels like for me, it's waking up every day and being excited for what I do and being creative and learning. And like, even recently, I just started a photography course on, um, uh, with, I, I've taken this course by Greg Williams and I'm on YouTube sort of exploring how do I take better pictures. So for me, um, being successful is yes, being successful and making the sales targets and all that, but also being creative and and pushing the boundaries and learning every single day it's a really interesting point I, my personal limit is 10 years doing the same thing I, I ran a company called fluid for 10 years and then I, I i basically had to bring someone else in to run it we actually sold it to pwc recently but um but you know i, I think that's really interesting as well accepting that you might love what you've got and what you've built but you also need to, to do other things explore other parts of your uh skill set right 
That's really, 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 yeah. really, really love that point. Thanks for sharing. Do you think that, um, you know, you've you touched on this, uh, the success piece. I mean, do you, do you look at the business and think, right, what is the future for my business? What, what is success one year, five years, 10 years from now? I mean, there is a trend I've noticed, and I've fallen into the trend myself, you know, of selling the company. I'm sure you've been approached a million times, you know, what, what, what makes you, um, what makes you not sell it? What makes you, what would make you um, look to expand it? What, what's the plan? Um, you know, it's, uh, that's a question that, uh, I get all the time, especially when I first started sort of, you know, what's your plan? Have you started the company Rodial to, and even help to sell it and then move on. And I mean, the, the answer is I am not a serial entrepreneur and I started this business because I have this passion for, bringing something exciting out of the world and have a passion for being creative. Um, if I was a serial entrepreneur, I would have sold a while ago. Um, over the years, we have been in talks on and off with potential investors, um, some of the big names, as you can imagine. Uh, but then after starting those conversations and I realized that, you know, I won't be able to do things the way I love to do things and, and, and my company would change dramatically. Um, I was never ready for that. Um, I was never ready to sell and then be an employee and then, you know, maybe eventually walk out. Um, so there is no big plan right now. Uh, the plan is to, we continue to be independent. We don't have, um, external investment. Um, as long as the company is profitable, and we can keep it going without the need for external investment. And while I'm still excited to be involved in the business, we're going to keep it private and kind of run it the way we run it. Um, if one day I wake up and I, and I feel, you know what, I'm not feeling it anymore. Um, I'm not excited anymore. And I don't really care if someone comes in and changes everything. Then that would probably be the point that we'll think about getting um, someone else to come in but until then uh, there is no big plan I think again this is such an important thing you're talking about here I want the audience to pick up on and I, I sold my company and sometimes I have regrets about it I, I miss my team I miss what I built and uh, I built new things now but I still you know I still sometimes think you know should I have sold it and I think that that culture out there of build a company and sell it is a bit of a misleading uh, view on entrepreneurship. I actually love your view on entrepreneurship. You did it because you love it. You you enjoy it. You want it to do well. You're passionate about it. That is the best reason to start a business and the best reason to keep a business. I've interviewed two people recently. Nick Jenkins, who's the founder of Moonpig, he did sell his company, um, and he. But why, uh, he also mentioned Nick Wheeler and his and his wife who started part of starting White Company and talked about how much he admired them because they built this incredible business and they haven't raised any money and they haven't they never want to sell it the compound that creates I think is quite fascinating so you know and definitely as person as an investor when I hear people want to build it and sell it I, I worry <laughs> I much mm. rather invest in people like you they're just like I just love this it has to be you know it has to come to the world I just want to keep doing it that is a real business actually I think what you've mentioned there is is gold and and not enough people talk about it because there's so many people come on of course me included talking about selling our companies as if that's success that is not success necessarily I think what you're doing is success actually um building something you love and 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 that's the core that doesn't mean say like you said I like your point you maybe you know who knows one mm. day uh, when you don't like it anymore or you don't feel it anymore then that that's fine, yeah. But I think that's really important for people to pick up on. Can I just ask you, um, 
you've you've written two books you've got a third one coming i know how do you write these books i know a lot of people again want to write books how, how have you managed to do it considering you're running incredible businesses at the same time um, so yeah, the, the first um, the first book was uh, the starting point, and then you kind of get get the formula a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, so what I have been doing for for a few years now is I journal a lot. So if uh, something crazy happened at work, uh, if I was facing a challenge, uh, I would sit down and write about it, and then think how I handled it and how if this came to me a month later with more clear head how I would have handled it. So I started um, journaling and, and having notes and keeping notes or I would write a speech uh, and I collected all those pieces together and I thought, you know, I was getting a lot of requests on Instagram um, on, on Mrs. Rodial. How do you start the business? What's your advice? And I thought, you know what? I have all those notes. I'll put them together, give them a storyline and, and just put it together as the book. And in this way, I, I can help a lot more entrepreneurs more collectively rather than just answering a quick question on an Instagram comment. Um, and that's how it started. Um, so yeah, it, there wasn't a big plan. I just, it, it all came from a need. And I, I think there's a massive need from um, coming from a lot of young people who are considering a career of starting their own business. But I also feel there is um, there's not enough out there. There are a lot of business books, but sometimes even, you know, when I was reading them, they're not relatable and you want to be able to relate. And someone who is in the beauty business and, and who shares what they've gone through, there's not like a huge amount of that um so i felt it was needed and um as you've said um how to be an overnight success it has been a bestseller and lots of people related to it and and still after three years of publishing it still people are buying it and and leaving me messages how it transformed their business and their life so yeah that's that's how it happened it wasn't a big plan for me to be a writer it just it just happened was it easy to um, get it out there in the world. I mean, making it is one thing, creating it, which the journal idea is brilliant, by the way. Um, but, you know, other than actually writing it, a lot of people struggle with publishing it. Did, 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 you, did you find that easy or was it... Um, it, it wasn't easy at all. And then with every book is a new journey. So it doesn't even mean that because you've published one, the next book is guaranteed. You always have to convince people and publishers. Um, with my, with my first book, it was, um, it was a bit of a struggle because I would go to publishers and say, I'm sorry, we're only publishing books by celebrities, you know, unless you're in Love Island or The Apprentice, we're not interested in you. So I, I found there's quite a lot of this culture of uh, the publishers really want to go for well-known names and celebrities and politicians and all that. Um, so it, I, I just happened to meet up and this is without an agent, without anyone, um, someone at the time who just published um what is that? The name of that book? They were um, the original publishers of Girl Boss, and uh, when they saw my book, they kind of thought this is perfect. This is the time. Um, they also published Ariana Huffington's books. So uh, I think it was the right time, the right moment. They were looking for a book like mine for fem female entrepreneurs, and the first book happened. So yeah, it wasn't easy, and it was probably going around in circles for about um, nine 
nine months to find a publisher. But equally, you know what, if I didn't find a publisher, I would probably self-publish because I, I really, and, and the book, I don't know if people know it, it's never really a massive revenue-making exercise. You know, if you sell it to a publisher, publisher, get some royalties, but it's really not, you know, it can't pay my bills, nowhere near. Uh, it's more about giving my knowledge and sharing and connecting with people. But yeah, it's, it's not easy publishing a book. Well, I've got I've got a book coming out too, so yeah, totally. It's um, it's 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 actually a bit broken the system actually the self publishing the kind of uh, going via a publisher. It's it's a very interesting model. But thank you for sharing your story about it. If you were, I always love framing life as a book. If you if you are a book, what an interesting book you'd be first of all. But what chapter are you on, and what's what's the title of the chapter you're on now? Do you think? So. Um it's the title of my second book, which is Make It Happen, because this year, more than ever, would have to make it happen considering the circumstances. And um, the chapter is um, how to get out of my comfort zone. Uh, and it's interesting, when I was setting my New Year's resolutions back in uh, January 2020, I was like, you know, I'm going to travel the world and do my book launches and just experience life to the fullest and go out more because I'm not that social at all. Uh, so I had all these big plans for 2020. And then, uh, yeah, March 2020 lockdown happened. So um, how do you get out of your comfort zone when you're sitting indoors and how, how do you change your life? But honestly, this year has been transformational. It made me think about my business in a very different way. Uh, historically, Rodial has been a wholesale-based uh, business. So we're selling to the likes of Harold Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, and then suddenly none of that is available. So we had to very quickly transform to direct to consumer, as people say, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, growing our website sales. And um, yeah, the way that I work with my teams um, and, you know, being a, a 20 year old business, it was all about being in the office, working from home. What is this? You know, new new brands, I understand they've had it. But with us, it was a very traditional model of how we worked and we had to change everything, uh, even the way that uh, I was coming on Instagram stories every day and still still going as much as I can and talking to people and connecting with with our consumer. I've done things this year that I've gone out of my comfort zone so much, but in a very different way than I always thought getting out of your comfort zone is. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a great year. It's 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 been a learning curve on so many levels. Uh, but I also feel we're in a much better place now and we're in control of our revenue. The trend I've noticed with all of your messages are, you know, like when you said at the beginning of the podcast about being fired and how it was your big shot in life, your big chance because you were fired. I feel like that um, that frame of mind, that mindset that successful entrepreneurs have, I'd love my audience to grab that. You know, even now you're saying this difficult time and it is such a difficult time. No one's had it easy. and, and But yet, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, improving yourself, your message is still very much like it's an opportunity. The difficult time is an opportunity. And so I really love that message and, and just, just want to highlight it, Maria. I really, really love the way you frame things. So thanks for that. I've taken up a lot of your time. 
and I know um, you have a lot of things going on. So um, I want to thank you for coming on. I have one last question just to kind of end the podcast on a, on a slightly lighter note. And if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? It's all going to be okay at the end. I was worried sick about everything, every small thing that happened to me, to my business, to my life. And, um, you know, it, it, it all, it all works for the best at the end. Um, so yeah, it all works out at the end. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. That's my advice. Giving me goosebumps. Actually that message, I think it's a really nice message for, and I, I hope my listeners feel the energy on that. It's all going to be okay. Great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much, Maria. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Simon. That was fun. Really fun. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Project podcast today. If you got any value from this podcast, then do feel free to give us a review and give us your feedback. And if you think anybody out there might enjoy this story of this real-life successful entrepreneur, then feel free to share. And of course, go and visit purposefulproject.com and join our main list at any point. Thanks again for listening.